So, you're a footballer and they take out your lung. That sort of ends you making money from physical activity, doesn't it? Well, not if you're Ron McMillan, an Englishman who had the good luck to meet an Irish woman, who had the good luck to buy him a book, a book that would change his life and lead to this. Can I help you? An English institution. Do we have a hat with a sort of folk bottom or something? Is that like that? I'll have a live rabbit. Is that something I can get here? Put him in the hat. And stick him in a liquid. Yeah, no, well, we got stick him in a liquidizer first. Yeah. <laughs> How's this one? Then guys? sort of pour it out the hat. <laughs> it's magic, isn't it? Oh, guys, help me out here. It's a magic shop in London that's a marvel to visit. No, is it a member of the magic circle? This rabbit. <laughs> Tricks and illusions in glass cases from floor to ceiling. Production flowers. This is where you will just walk on stage, clap your hands and suddenly a bouquet will appear in your hands. It wouldn't be out of place in a Harry Potter movie. To extinguish the flame, you put the little cap on like so and the flame goes out and you pour it out and it's all milk and it turns the whole candle into milk. Enthusiastic salesmen behind an old-fashioned counter. I'm going to tell you the card you chose, five of spades. Barry and Marco. What do you mean, no? How do you know it wasn't? You couldn't even see the cards. (laughs) Even if you're not buying, you get a magic show. This is great. You get in to put the fiver in, open the box, and uh, you can take it out. But if you don't open it, he loses it. If you don't open it? Yeah, he loses his fiver. The shop and business, called International Magic, is central to the world of magic, with online sales, monthly magic lessons, an annual convention, and a reputation that allows it to count as friends, illusionists like Darren Brown. Far from central London, the Irish woman, Teresa, is sitting in a house in Mayo in Newport, near to Mount Jubilee, where she grew up. Oh, I'm one of 12 children. When I was two, my uncle decided he'd help bring me up, so he took me to Briska. Her eldest brother emigrated to London. He organised a nursing job for her with live-in accommodation, and he sent for her. It was 1947. She left impoverished Mayo, full of excitement for the glamour and bright lights of London. I was so disappointed when I saw it. It was all bombed and run down and uh, food was a big shock. The first egg I had over there was powdered egg and um, I was used to our own chickens laying our eggs. Initially, life in the hospital was good. We had to be in at a certain time at night. That was good for me, really. It was like a home, you know, you were somebody in charge. But Teresa began to get restless and one day a young man came into outpatients. He was a footballer. Well, while he was sitting waiting for the doctors to see him, you know, he'd be pretending to take his thumb off. He used to always do something silly with his hands. And, um, oh, and he used to roll coins on his fingers as well. Is that how he caught your eye? <laughs> I think it probably is. <laughs> so it wasn't that he was dashing and handsome? Oh, he and... was really handsome, very handsome. Ron asked Teresa out on a date. He was a typical East Ender. <laughs> he took me for jelly deals, if you don't mind. <laughs> I said, I can't stand it. I'd have to go out. So he had to leave his and we had to leave. I couldn't, I couldn't eat those. But the relationship continued, as did Ron's silly tricks with his hands. He was childish. <laughs> the visits to outpatients ended. Ron was admitted as an inpatient. The news was not good. He had TB. He had to have the operation, he had to have his lung taken away and they took all the ribs back and front away and he was one of the most successful operations. 
Ron had also lost a trade. His family were woodworkers and French polishers. He hadn't the physique for that work now. He had a new, disfigured body, one which he would use to his advantage. Ron convalesced for a year and a half, all the time practising his magic tricks. Then I bought him the book, the book on magic. I thought, well, that'll keep him, he'll look at that and maybe he'll give up. I didn't think he'd carry on. But somehow I was glad he did. (laughs) Teresa and he then decided to marry. Ron trained as a bookkeeper and got a job on the docks, but kept up the magic. Oh, and he used to do shows in the docks for the, when the big ships come in and he got friendly with the captain. And then we'd be invited. We were invited lots of times on the ships for lovely meals. He used to do shows in there and he'd bring a few of his magician friends and they used to love it. It was an evening's entertainment for them. And there's a the thing, magician friends. It seems that when you get into magic, you get into a group of people who love it too. They hang around magic shops or work there, as Ron did part-time. They swap tricks and spend time together. Okay, uh, I, I mean, I can't remember this. Yeah, I put the, I'm going to put the Ace of Hearts over there. Uh, and then that leaves me with, if I can do this correctly, it's like that. That leaves me with what? The Ace of Clubs, Diamonds and Spades. Watch. Ace of Diamonds has gone over there. Yeah. And I've got Ace of Hearts. You know that one? Yeah. Well, they are big children and you'll see them, how daft they are, but they're funny. They're not nasty. <laughs> I don't think I've met any nasty ones in it. Ron started making tricks and selling them in the market. He pulled himself through all the bad points. He wasn't sitting at home doing nothing. He did a competition and he won. He came first. He was getting works and he found an agent. All the old theatres were around then, and they could get work. The act that made Ron famous was a billiard ball act, where he would produce 14 billiard balls from nowhere. This was more than anyone else had done. How he did it is obviously a secret, but he had two distinct physical advantages over other magicians. He had long, slender fingers with which to display the billiard balls, and he had a cavity in his chest from the lung operation where he could conceal things. Ron and Teresa had three children, Paul, Martin and Georgia. Martin and Georgia are involved in the family magic business. As I grew up, I didn't know anything other than the magic. Everyone who came to the house was a magician. At school it was kind of weird because I thought it was very normal until I started school and then realised nobody else's dad was a magician, so... (laughs) I'd take little card tricks and things and score and sell them, so, you know. And did you ever do shows yourself? Uh, never performed. I'll leave that to my sister. Ron toured the country with his act. Eventually, he got it perfect. Getting it perfect meant not just getting it right technically, but holding the audience in thrall. an engagement and I think Dad was kind of mesmerising. People just liked watching him. He was, as I say, graceful on stage and it was you know, it's a little bit like watching a, a dancer or somebody doing something that they're very good at. I 
I know what it, it was a nightclub where right. you would have various gangsters and what have you and uh, in, in all honesty they're, they're not really interested in the magician coming on stage there was a particular night where he told me that he went on there and he captured them and they stopped whatever dealings they were doing they looked at him and from that moment onwards he had it uh, captured the thing he was looking for yeah What's her name? That blonde, oh God, I can't think of her name. Diana Doris, that's right. She was in the audience and she was with the Cray twins. They were in there. And he used to throw the coins over his back and he'd catch them between his fingers behind his back, which was wonderful. And one or two of them dropped down and went down by the, and they picked them up. And the, when he come off, he said to the guy on the stage, he said, there's two of my coins down there. He said, forget them. <laughs> The Cratrians have got them. Ron started to tour in Europe and America, and his magic circle of friends became wider. One friend we had, he had in Denmark. He used to produce loads and loads of flowers. He used to fill the stage with flowers. Jorgen Samson was his name, and he came home. He didn't have any family in Denmark. He had one aunt, I think. And he came and he said to Ron, I'd love to come to England. I'd love to... I'd like to see... Uh, England at Christmas. So Ron said, come home. So he came for 40 years. <laughs> Every year, didn't he? He's our Santa Claus. <laughs> he came to us for 40 years, one month every year, Christmas. He was double-jointed, so he, he'd do mad things. Like he'd, he'd take me on the bus in London and he'd be having, he'd have his leg up on his shoulder and he'd ring the, the bell to get off the bus <laughs> <laughs> with his foot. So, <laughs> he was crazy, the crazy Dane. He was lovely, though, wasn't he? He was a lovely man, yeah. yeah. Everyone that come to the show, if he, he would gather them all up and we had a busload come home. <laughs> and did you mind? I know. I, they're, they're nice. They were all lovely, friendly people, all doing silly tricks, grown men doing silly tricks, but it was funny. <laughs> did you not say to them, grow no, up? No, no. I, never say, I didn't grow up myself, so <laughs> I kept me young. I loved it. Finally, it was time to come off the road and set up shop, which Ron and Teresa did on the Clerkenwell Road in London. I'd like to sell. <laughs> I'd like to take the money. I used to, I used to have... Uh, my nieces used to come from here, my sister's girls, when they went to England. They would all come in. None of them knew anything about magic, but they all loved it and they all helped in the shop. Tommy Cooper was uh, a friend of our family. He was in the shop every two to three weeks, I would say. And he'd been pestered a few times for autographs. Um, and I remember Dad saying to him, you know, does it ever bother you that they keep coming up? He says, no, it will only bother me if they stop coming and asking. So. Give one a fiver. It's yeah. worth a fiver. It's yeah, but I want to know, don't I? Of course. I'm guaranteed I'll buy it. Yeah, yeah, yeah a five pound. <laughs> You have yeah, to no. pay first. Oh, is it like but that? You pay for the trick. Oh, right. Oh, they used to come in and ask, if I'll take it away and I'll bring it back if it don't work. I said, no, you won't. <laughs> you don't. Who did I say it to? Jarvis Cocker. <laughs> he came in, he had the cheek. I didn't know who he was and I still don't know him. I've heard of him. <laughs> he says, can I, if I buy it, can I bring it back if it don't work? I said, it works and you're not bringing it back. 
think what you actually said to him was oh, um, yes. un unwittingly you said, "Well, if you bought a book on a piano and you, and you couldn't play the piano, would you bring that back?" And she didn't realise who she was I talking didn't know to. Who I was talking to. <laughs> And did, did Ron stay up till the end? Did he stay cheery till the end? Or? Oh, he did, yeah, didn't he, poor thing. He wouldn't eat, and he was very finicky with his food. But if I think if he'd eaten a bit better and looked after himself a little bit better, he would have maybe lasted a few more years. Not, not many more, though, I think. He lived till he was 73. And did you have any magic references at the funeral? Martin did the broken wand. It's the traditional ceremony. When a magician dies, you break the wand over the grave. Well, that's really nice. Yeah. Teresa's now back in Mayo, living with her daughter Georgia and Georgia's husband, Dan O'Donoghue, who is a magician. It's nice that it's ended up that I've married an Irish magician, though, because I've done the reverse of <laughs> Mum's life. She married an Englishman and moved over there, and I married an Irishman and moved over here.